You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we are back with another episode previewing this matchup between Penn State and Ball State. 3.30 kickoff in Beaver Stadium. We hope you caught our second episode of the week uh, that dropped just yesterday on Wednesday. Steve Wiltfong, who you, of course, know as 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Director, also did a great job of providing us uh, a rundown of what Ball State brings to Beaver Stadium. This is a team, may surprise many of you, that brings an eight-game win streak on the road to Happy Valley. Penn State, of course, working with a five-game win streak. And uh, Sean, before we get into our conversation, I want to remind our listeners that we are also available on video format now up on YouTube. Uh, easy to find this page. It's just that Lines 24-7 is the channel. Encourage you to subscribe. Check out our content. If you prefer just sticking with what gets you to this podcast, that's okay too, but want to put that out there. Sean, we're going to be back at Beaver Stadium with a lot of old friends. We've we've done what three podcasts in the last three days, so I'm ready to change it up and actually watch some football instead of talking about football. So it'll be nice to get back out there. Nice to see Beaver Stadium. Uh, beautiful day in the forecast. I, I don't think there's been much better over the last couple of years, and and to have fans back is just gonna it's gonna be exci- an exciting time. Absolutely, and and we'll look forward to seeing everybody that that's gonna be before the game. All the uh, the the grand the grand uh, entrances that happened with the Penn State game, and all the things that we we severely missed last year when it was a quiet place to go to on Saturdays for those games. We got some game storylines to get into. Of course, you heard a lot from Steve Wiltfong. If you want to get a, a big breakdown of Ball State in this matchup, certainly suggest checking out the last episode if you did miss it. But we're going to focus in a lot on Penn State here before we get to our predictions and before we get to, to really looking at this game. Been a busy week, a lot of availability here. That's the case Tuesdays, Wednesdays, into Thursday morning with what we do covering Penn State on a daily basis. A lot of players, a lot of coaches. I wanted to get to a few topics here, Sean, before we dive into the matchup. And I want to start with the fact that there is nobody on this roster, and I'm including Jaquan Brisker on that, that generated more buzz during these discussions this week than Arnold Ebicady, the Temple transfer who had himself a day in Madison. Oh, he was fantastic. Uh, what an addition so far. And and usually you get that first game and it's against an Idaho or something like that. And and somebody breaks out and you think, oh, OK, Penn State's got something here in this one to do that against Wisconsin. I know their left tackle was a little bit hobbled, but AK made him look silly, to be honest with you at times. So uh, his his presence was definitely necessary, especially after the injury to Adisa Isaac. But he was great. Everybody around him seems to have have pulled on him. And, and that's the thing about those two uh, transfers up front, those two defensive linemen with uh, with AK and Derek Tangelo is everybody seems to love them. Just like not just they're playing and and it's great if they're playing well, but uh, personality wise, fit wise, seems to be a, a really really good uh, start to their Penn State career. We've been hearing about that for a long time, dating back to to the early stages of spring practice about how Tangelo and and how Ebicady gelled with the rest of this roster, especially in that position group. We heard from John Scott this week, reinforcing a lot of that. Um, Going to Jaquan Brisker, though, of course, who generated plenty of buzz in his own right uh, on last Saturday against Wisconsin with with what his teammates called the Warriors performance. When you look at Brisker, through the film, it's one thing, but when you hear about what he meant to this win away from on the sideline in communication, 
it adds a different layer of his value to this team. We know he's a very impressive football player. Uh, we've had heard a lot about his leadership really emerging here in year three with the program. That, of course, resulted in team captaincy. But just from this game alone, what we've heard from his teammates, from coaches coming out of it, about his ability to communicate during the game, even when he was sidelined, dealing with some injuries, keeping an eye on the game, seeing what the tendencies were for Wisconsin. He's talked about this. Uh, it's like a Madden, he said, when someone's calling the play over and over because it keeps working. He felt like it was coming with Jake Ferguson. He, he reacted. He came away with the interception. Uh, Penn State had to come up with another defensive stop, but that should have been really the, the one that slammed the door shut on Wisconsin. Um, and, and, Sean, ultimately, when you hear that communication, that leadership at that position in the back end of your defense, it's the kind of talk when you combine that with his trust in place in Jair Brown that we just not have, we have not heard applied to a safety tandem at Penn State in quite some time. When, when you have safeties that can just turn the ball and, and turn it the other way. I mean, you, this guy will go out and make plays for you instead of waiting for plays to come to it. And Penn State's had some some pretty good safeties, uh, but they, they really haven't had that that guy, that all-American type guy that can play both the run and the pass. You know, we've seen Mark Salen was fantastic. He was more of a guy that, you know, he's playing linebacker in the NFL right now for a reason, played the run really well. Um, but it, it's it's one of those things where he just brings so much as an all-around player. And you think about his journey, and this is a guy that ended up at Lackawanna because his academics were terrible um, coming out of high school, and that that's a maturity thing. And then you, you look at a lot of these guys that, that end up doing do do going JUCO um, and, and it's a lot of it has to, to reflect on their approach to academics, especially early in their career. That's that's definitely a maturity thing. When he got to Penn State, uh, you know, he thought that, that he should have played right away. He, he's come around very much in the last three years just to uh, ascend to this spot, not only as a as a leader as a player on the, on the field, but also in, in that locker room. So you really can't say enough about how far he's come. Um, you know, he's still got work to do and, you know, he, he, he wants to be in that upper echelon of, of college safeties. You know, you watch Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame the other night and he was just incredible. A brisker. Can he be at that level? I don't know. I, I think Hamilton's probably a top five pick. I don't, so I don't think brisker's there, but he could really get to, um, being a fringe round one guy or being a round two guy or something like that. Uh, and that would be an amazing transition. And, and and it would be a good sell job for James Franklin and company who got him back to come or got him to come back to school for a fifth year. Yeah, a good. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to like about what it could mean for your ability to recruit with Anthony Poindexter up front with 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 John Scott and what they're doing. And also, you know, next offseason, transfer portal is going to do its thing again. And if you can point to guys who came in, played right away, started right away. This is not Jaquan Brisker, of course, but going to some of the new additions, there's a lot that you can build off of from the early performance. We'll see if it can extend over the course of, of 12, 13 games here for Penn State. Looking at uh, at Evic, at, sorry, I'm sorry, looking at Evic Kade one more time. Hey, before you before you get yeah. into that one, the, the Poindexter thing is funny because Brisker was was good last year, but he obviously had a, a faults, especially early in the season, was co coached by Tim Banks all of a sudden, or excuse me, and all of a sudden you bring in uh, Poindexter and he's this guy. How much does Poindexter have to do with it? It's hard to say, but you can sell it in the fact that he came or he came in, took a a good safety, and made him an All American, and that's a that's a quick turnaround that you haven't had at safety the last couple of years. You, we look at the struggles that Penn State has had recruiting Derek Davis, recruiting a bunch of these these safeties that and, and moving corners, and you know just kind of fiddling along and, and trying to fill in with safety. And now all of a sudden you've got a chance to sell it. They've got a pretty good group of safeties in this class right now. And if Poindexter sticks around and 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 continues to develop like this, all of a sudden that spot that was a weak spot on that defensive recruiting chart is, you know, could be could be attractive to a lot of people. 
Brisker, Brown, Ebikati, none of them had power five offers coming out of high school for different reasons in each circumstance, of course. But in Ebikati's circumstance, he was playing linebacker, he was underside, very prolific production at the high school level, but but much different player than he was even last year on the field for Temple, about 20 pounds heavier, and he has maintained and really built on his ability as an explosive athlete off the edge. Um, there is a lot of respect right now sticking at defensive end for what Jesse Lucetta is doing for this program right now. He's not going to be sticking at defensive end in the first half this Saturday. He'll be playing Mike linebacker with Ellis Brooks following that fourth quarter ejection at Wisconsin going to be sidelined until the third quarter this Saturday. That means Jesse Lucetta uh, backs off from defensive end, goes and plays middle linebacker. We'd expect Jesse Lucetta to move on up uh, back into a three point stance after this, uh, this after Brooks gets back in, I should say, but I think there's just a lot of respect and appreciation that you hear this week about Jesse Lucetta preparing to be a starter in two different roles, showing up in a big way at defensive end last week, and then being there when you needed somebody to step up at Mike. It's nice to be able to call upon someone who started every game for you last year at linebacker. And given how thin that room is at linebacker, you know, an injury or a targeting or something like that can can deplete that that group really quickly. Having this experience against Ball State, I think, is going to help him. Um, you know, Ball State uh, did run the ball well last week, 220 yards on the ground against Western Illinois. So they're going to probably come right at him and see what he's able to do. And, uh, you know, it'll be, be interesting to watch his development there. But, yeah, his leadership is is unquestionable. Um, you know, he's uh, the neat roommate, as uh, Jahan Dotson called him <laughs> last night. So he's a man of many talents. He's been a guy that's uh that's been really uh, a poster child for this program for the last couple of years and to see him start shining on the field um no no disrespect to what he's done in the past but you know that what we saw last week was just on a completely another level another member of that 2018 recruiting class was pj mustafer he came in played right away at defensive tackle but now year four for him and uh year three where he's essentially in a starting role full-time for the last two years a lot of praise thrown his way from John Scott Jr. here on Thursday morning, Sean. Not only was it about P.J. Mustafer setting the tone as a vocal leader, which we totally expect now. He's picked for a captain for a reason. It's been inevitable. It feels like that he was going to be a team captain for this program. But he played a ton of snaps. And this is a guy who's now 325-ish after being 300 pounds last year. You wondered how that approach would work out. And it was spectacular. He's got a belly on him right now. It's and it's pretty funny when you take into account, you know, we've talked about the added weight and everything like that, but for most of those guys you think you you know, you get bigger, you bulk up a little bit, but he's got a little bit of a belly on him and when I was there watching in preseason, I'm like, is this is this going to be something that slows him down because he's always been, you know, a pretty dynamic athlete for that position and uh it it, it it's it's funny because it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you <laughs> add that weight and then you play the game that he played with the conditioning that he had where he played most of the snaps there at defensive tackle. Uh, kudos to, to PJ for, for for proving people wrong on that one because if you were just sitting there sta- or you're just standing on the sideline watching him, uh, you think maybe this is going to hurt him. Maybe he's going to go in the direction where you, you're not going to be able to, to rely on him to be a dynamic player, to, to play all these plays. And turns around and does the exact opposite. So kudos to PJ on that one. He's uh, I think he's a, a tremendous player continue to be challenged uh, with that running game. As we mentioned earlier, uh, a, a little bit with, uh, with Lucetta. Putting on 25 pounds in a matter of six, seven months is very different when you're a power five football player working in that structure than the average person uh, like Sean and I. And, and by the way, PJ Mustafer, um, John Scott talked about during that final drive for Wisconsin, uh, four plays in five plays in, he wanted to check on Mustafer, wondered if he was gassed. Did he need to come to the sideline? 
pretty adamant no from PJ to stay on the field. And that paid off for Penn State. Um, really a strong start for a guy that they need to be the anchor up front for them. Um, speaking of defensive linemen, Akeem Beeman, follow up with, with John Scott Jr. Nothing new there. He referred to James Franklin's comments from Tuesday and, and added he's unavailable right now. So this is a guy, again, we thought maybe in the 2D, maybe even a starter at defensive tackle. We talked about defensive end early in the offseason. Right now, not a factor for this defensive front. And, and generally speaking, John Scott says as the season rolls on, you're going to see a lot more guys involved on the defensive front. It was one of those situations where you had a lot of top-heavy snap distribution on the defensive line. And really, you can apply this logic to a bunch of different positions. You're not you're going from on the road at Wisconsin to being able to play a few more comfortable matchups here in the in the coming weeks in Beaver Stadium, and and that should be able to get them a chance to see what they have beyond those you know top three or four guys at each position and start to build out a rotation that works for John Scott Jr. and keeps guys like PJ Mustafer fresh. And you won't have Luquette at defensive end in the first half, so you, you'll go with Smith Vilbert playing a backup, Zariah Fisher, Amin Vanover we saw in short yardage last week, and then you move inside, you've got guys like Fatorma Malba and Kaziah Izzard. There's a bunch of those defensive tackles in there, so be interested to – you know, I think at times with these Mac teams and you don't want to take them for granted because this is a Mac championship team from last year, um, but you will see more of those rotations. You will see more revolutions where, where maybe four guys on four guys off early in the game, especially for an 80 degree game, uh, which should be a, a really nice day for the fans, but the players might, might want to, turn it down a couple of degrees. Um, but yeah, I think you'll see guys like that getting into the game uh, more often when it's, when it's still in doubt and getting some, some quality experience. A nice start here would be to make sure Ball State doesn't have the ball for 42 minutes and runs almost 100 plays because uh, if that happens again, there's there's major problems. I think you can probably avoid that kind of a, a toll on your defense physically in this matchup. But um, when we look at offense, Sean, the, the kind of the one thing that stood out in a big way for me, talking to guys like Jahan Dotson and, uh, and, and kind of following up on a conversation we had with wide receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield just a few weeks ago is Keandre Lambert-Smith and what we saw in game one uh, overcame a, a, a drop and then ended up making a 52-yard catch. That was huge for the team. It, it was part of that missed field goal drive, so it didn't result in points, but it was a big moment opening things up for this offense. Four catches, 71 yards, and everything you hear, including from Keandre Lambert-Smith himself, is that this momentum that he has is tied to his maturation. He went so far yesterday to tell us that when he came to campus in January of 2020, he was mentally weak, and and that is a big statement from Keandre Lambert Smith, who is about as confident as any high school recruit I've encountered. I saw this on, or I put this on our board earlier today, but if he drops that ball last year, he dropped that the, the sideline pattern or whatever, um, and, and if he drops that ball last year, he's out. I mean, he's his head's out of the game. Um, still thinking about that one. He turned around this week, caught the 50-some yard, uh, not touchdown, but caught the 50-some yard deep ball um, and turned it into a big positive. Ended up with 70, 71 yards receiving on four catches. Uh, that's that's quite a turnaround. So to get there mentally, um, to to have that maturity that, and to admit that's where you were at a year ago and this is where you're at right now, it's just it's a great step forward, especially with uh, with the youth that goes along with Parker Washington there. And, and you know, the, I don't know what they're going to do at depth beyond those three guys, but those guys have stepped up and really, really made uh, asserted themselves as essentially redshirt freshman as Keandre Lambert uh, is, a, is a true sophomore, but didn't play a, a ton last year, even though he started some games. So um, I'm, I'm really interested to see. I've, I've always been a big Keandre Lambert fan, uh, always Same been competitive, here. 
always been uh, athletic, quick. I mean, we talked about that shuttle endlessly when he was being recruited. So he's got the tools. It's just about putting it together upstairs. And that seems to be coming along pretty well. And what I, part of what I loved about him was that competitive streak, that that passionate nature. But you know, Franklin, James Franklin said after practice on Wednesday, when I asked him about this, he uh, said it, it just was a matter of making sure he was leveled out. It couldn't be peaks and valleys. It couldn't be him getting in one-on-one kind of battles when you had 11-on-11 football being played. And, and that's what's happening right now for him. It's a small sample size through just one week. But if he continues to, to produce and be a, a threat as that third wide receiver – you're talking about a heck of a trio here for Penn State. And, and you're right. What is beyond those three guys? There's a lot of questions there. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown is the veteran that we continue to talk about there. Yeah, he popped up a little bit. There weren't many reps that went around in the game, but but some of them did go to Winston Eubanks, a walk-on player, extremely productive at the Division II level with Shippensburg, decided to take a chance on himself as a senior, join this, this Penn State program, not on scholarship. And right there on the road in Wisconsin, he's – involved and it certainly sounds like you know Jahan Dotson thinks he's going to be a part of the plan moving forward remains to be seen what part of the plan that, or what that means as being part of the plan Eubanks uh, obviously worked his way onto the field which is pretty impressive in itself being a division two transfer but uh, you've got Harrison Wallace you've got Liam Clifford these guys that can work their way um, in as true freshman scholarship guys and uh, we did not see much of Cam Sullivan Brown we didn't see I don't think any of Daniel George even though he made the trip um, on Saturday so those Marquise guys have Wilson all- not out there as, as well and he's a guy that we've been keeping tabs on there right yeah, and, and that makes sense to me because uh, Wilson, you know, you, you got that position switch and then all of a sudden you're going to go on the road. Those those reps are going to tighten up anyway. So if you're going to learn to take your first reps as, as a wide receiver, um, you'd rather not do it on the road against the top 20 defense or a top 10 defense or something like that. Um, so I get I get that. I expect to see him this weekend. Uh, maybe not in a, in a huge role, but in the in the sense that we're going to probably see more receivers on the field. Like I said, they tightened up at receiver. They tightened up at running back with Noah Kane getting most of those snaps. Um, they, they they tightened up at corner big time. It was all Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields. You know, it's a little sprinkling here and there of, of Kalen King, but he pl- probably played less than we would have forecasted based on his spring and his summer. But they just wanted those veteran guys out there or, or guys that at least have experience because we say veteran guys and then we say Parker Washington's a sophomore, Keandre Lambert-Smith's a sophomore. So I, I think we'll see that open up a little bit and uh, give a chance to get some other guys on the field and, and actually make some plays instead of just you know blocking for a screen or something. You say veteran guys, and then you remember that that Keandre Lambert-Smith, Parker Washington have never played in front of a packed Beaver Stadium. They've been there as recruits. They've experienced it sitting in the stands, but have not encountered this. And, and this is a great opportunity here for Penn State to get back at it in front of the home crowd. A long time coming. You can tell there's a lot of excitement. Every week, it's the one and no mentality. This game's like the last game, and the next game will be like this game. It's the most important game in our world. But there's something extra here as they're getting to reunite with the Nittany Lions Nation in Beaver Stadium. 3.30 kickoff. Penn State number 11 now in the Associated Press Top 25 poll. Ball State among those other receiving votes. They're technically number 40. Eight-game win streak, the 2020 MAC champions. Steve Wiltfong had a lot to say about them last time around. They got two teams here feeling pretty good about themselves. Penn State winning on the road at Wisconsin, coming off of a four-game win streak to close last year. And Kent State, it, it, it was not a, a very impressive opener for them, I would say, and a much different opponent. Uh, but they're 1-0, and, and they've got that eight-game win streak as well. Yeah, and this isn't a pushover. I mean, this is a good Ball State team that should compete in the MAC once again. Obviously, a big win over Buffalo last year to win the MAC. So this is not a team that's going to come in and, and 
feel that this one is too big for them or they won't have a shot. Obviously, they're going to play the underdog role, uh, underdog role back against the wall and do do all that kind of stuff this week. But there's there's some talents and spots there. Penn State sh- should have the talent advantage overall or definitely does have the talent advantage overall and should be able to to maybe impose a little bit more will than they did against Wisconsin, especially that front seven from Wisconsin. So, um, you know, it's, it's certainly not a pushover, but you get back in front of that Beaver stadium crowd. It does mean something. We saw that last year. It, it, it meant a lot to those guys um, that, that there was no fans there. They did not have that energy to play off and feed off, but uh, Kent state, certainly no pushover. Penn state's is going to have to be on, on their game. And I think that they have an opportunity to put up some points. They have an opportunity to, to get a quick start um, and do some things. This is a, a ball state team that needed what 24 second half points last week to beat Western Illinois. So um, slow starts are, are abound early in the season. So if Penn state can, can get off on the right foot and keep ball state on its heels, uh, they, they could be in, in, in shape for a really good day. Yeah. That was a seven, seven game against Western Illinois at halftime last week. And, and, uh, and, and ball state coming to town. I mentioned this last week with Penn state going on the road, um, to play Wisconsin. It's only fair I do it again. And, and really more emphasis here because you've got a team coming from the group of five. They played at home against Western Western Illinois. This is their first road game. Um, I mean, Ball State doesn't face many road games in this environment, but you're talking about a team that hasn't seen much of a crowd, just like Penn State's hadn't seen much of a crowd until last Saturday. Here it is. Hello, Beaver Stadium. You're going to encounter a, a group of fans um, who and riled up players and coaches and Again, this feels like it's it's fortunate for Ball State. They have a very veteran quarterback. I'll talk about him in a second because that gives you, you think, a bit of a steady hand on your offense going into a matchup like this. But even with that in play, this is a major buzzsaw kind of atmosphere that Ball State is going to encounter. Yeah, and you're going to see that for a lot of schools, especially the smaller schools going to big schools. And I know, you know, a lot of FCS schools had success last week. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something to keep in the back of your mind if you're Penn State. Uh, but this is should be a different style atmosphere. Uh, you made a great point there. Drew Plitt, the quarterback, second team All-Mac guy last year, uh, fifth year senior, very experienced guy. That will you know help them out. That will definitely get those guys under control. Um, you know he was able to turn that team around last year and uh, over the last couple of years and, and get them where they needed to be, which is the top of the MAC. So um, impressed with what he brings to the table. He's got some some good targets to work with. Penn State's defense. You know, they were worked hard last week. They're not going to get that much time to rest. It's certainly not going against the uh, the caliber of offensive line that Wisconsin threw at them. But Penn State's going to have to be on their toes, get to the quarterback, and and try and rattle them, knock them off schedule. Yeah, Plitt had a couple touchdown throws last week without an interception. He's a guy, I think I referenced this stat last episode, almost 7,000 career passing yards for Ball State. He's been a big part of their emergence in, in the MAC. And when you look at the last time he played a, a Power Five conference, you've got to go all the way back to September of 2019. Um, they played uh, NC State uh, that, that year, 35 of 57, 333 yards, one interception. They also played Indiana in their opener that year, which which they also lost uh, 26 of 41, two touchdowns, one interception. So it's not like he was a, a disaster when he faced a Power 5 opponent, uh, but this is a different Penn State team with a defense that's really vibing and a crowd that's really going to want to get after it. I think if they have any hope here, they're going to need to get a lot out of a guy that, that Steve Wolfong highlighted during our discussion, uh, and, and that's their wide receiver slash uh, wide out slash slot guy slash a guy who can be a, a force as a runner, Justin Hall, uh, really coming off an impressive performance, and he's got to be priority number one on who you stop for Penn State's defense. 
No doubt. Uh, the secondary uh, not particularly tested last uh, last week against Wisconsin. They'll get a chance to chase around a you know a really uh, quick guy that that that's going to get a volume of tar- targets his way. So that secondary. Uh, I don't want to say they're going to be under more pressure against Ball State, uh, but you know that, that there certainly is that scenario where they're going to be letting up some catches and and Ball State can move the move the football and get some first downs and might be frustrating a time or two. But I, I think that the talent's there, and of course, when that ball goes in the air with this mm-hmm. secondary, you, they got a chance to go back the other way, which is you could you haven't been able to say that about a Penn State secondary for a while like this. No, that's exciting. And and also, unlike the Wisconsin game, I don't think we're going to be looking at a 7-7 slugfest in the third quarter. This is a game that if if it goes according to plan and what I think our predictions are going to line up, you should be forcing Ball State to, to let you know to let it fly and take some chances downfield. Now that's going to set the stage for a guy like Justin Hall to, to do some things against you and maybe maybe spring a big play that gives Ball State some momentum and anything they can do to, to to put the crowd out of the game and probably not out of the game, but put the you know just to extinguish some of the excitement in the crowd is a big deal. Justin Hall is the guy who can do that. Um, but I think right now, like you said, this is a defensive secondary that beware when you're throwing the ball downfield there. And if this is a, a situation where ball States, you know, throwing the ball 80, 90% of the game in the second half, uh, there certainly will be opportunities for turnovers. Their goal for the Penn state defense collectively three turnovers per game. They hit that mark in week one. They'd love to do it again here on Saturday. And buddy, I just got excited. I was looking at drew Plitz uh, stat page. He had four punts last year. So the quick kick Hello. is in play this week. <laughs> so put three of those inside the 20. So the quick kick, watch out for the quick kick this week. No, I, I, that's going to pop up now. It definitely is going to pop up because you noted it. Uh, what what else is going on for the Penn State uh, defense here? Since since we've been talking about Ball State's offense, um, three levels impacted by by personnel situations here for Penn State. Sean Ellis Brooks, as we mentioned, on the sideline until the third quarter. That means Jesse Lucetta leaves defensive end. There's a void there at defensive end now. Lucetta can how's he going to look at linebacker he looked a lot faster at defensive end he looked a lot more effective at defensive end than he had at linebacker during his earlier stages of his career so how's that going to look for this defense um and and then additionally Jonathan Sutherland likely to see extensive action again uh at the safety position uh as you know the next guy in there if something happens we saw brisker sideline quite a bit last week um in this case I just don't think you can count on seeing Keaton Ellis based on everything we've heard over the course of this week yeah, Keaton Ellis in the practice jersey once again, which was the indication last week that he would not make the trip. Jonathan Lovett also in the practice jersey. No Hakeem Beeman at, at practice last night. Uh, that uh, Ball State rushing attack, they ran 40 times last week for 220 yards. So five, 5.4 a carry um, should be a little bit lower this week. But they have the opportunity to, to, to bust a couple of those. Uh, Carson Steele was the backup running back that Steve mentioned from Mr. Football in Indiana. Seven carries, 79 yards and a touchdown last week. And Plitt, Plitt ran the ball five times for 18 yards which doesn't seem like a lot but that that could be a first down or two uh if he's if he's scrambling around and making the most of his uh his opportunities there uh 17 of 28 last week against western illinois for 188 yards and two touchdowns so they'll throw it around i I don't think they're going to throw it over top of you um they might try but they i don't think they're going to really have most of their passing success down the field so i wouldn't be shocked to see you know a, a similar approach to what we saw penn state do at the end of, or in the second half last week against wisconsin where you're trying to test the perimeter trying to make guys miss and trying to to, to rely on guys missing tackles and getting upfield and moving those chains 
Yeah, another receiver to be aware of with, with Justin Hall being more that elusive, shifty threat. Johannes T- Tyler, which is a tremendous name. Johannes Tyler. Amazing name. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, a productive player last year. He was averaging more than 20 yards per reception during the 2020 season, eight touchdowns. He's a bigger guy, Sean. So he's kind of balancing out that wide receiver duo, six foot three, 200 pounds plus. So, Another test for the Nittany Lions there. And, and and with Plitt, you're not talking about a, a major rushing threat. Can he get it done in short yard situations? Absolutely. He's been pretty effective, actually, in that role. Goal line, third and short, fourth and short. But this is a spot where with the speed we saw Penn State flash off the edge last week, I mean, this is not a guy that's going to get out of the way from AK. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be tough for uh, for them to sustain uh, against that pass rush just for all sixty minutes on, on Saturday. So I think Penn State will have an advantage up front, uh, have an opportunity to, to to stop the run, especially if Mustafer plays anywhere near what he played last week. Should open some things up for some other guys. Uh, we'll we'll see how Jesse Lucetta responds in, at the second level of that defense, and and still. I want to see Brandon Smith continue to grow into that position. I want to see Curtis Jacobs continue to do, you know, make the little strides that he made last week. And if they continue to do that, Penn State's probably got a pretty good linebacker core on their hands. So I'm um, excited to see those guys. And, um, you know, we, we, this is it's, it's a three touchdown spread, right? I mean, it, this is something where we could talk about how great Ball State is and and how things, go, uh, you know, how things have, have gone across college football and upsets and everything like that. But Penn State's the better team, more talented team, and they should try and assert their will on both sides of the ball on Saturday. And I'm just, I'm not buying the trap game conversation. I know it, it, it's come up a few times this week and, um, but this is a ball state team that has won eight games in a row. They were the conference champions at an FBS level of football last year. They shouldn't really sneak up on you. And, and Oh, by the way, we mentioned this six times already. They're back in Beaver stadium in front of a full crowd. If that's not motivation enough, then I don't know what is. I know Auburn comes to town. The whiteout's going to be there Saturday, but trust me, this is it just, I mean, this might as well be the whiteout for these guys to get back in Beaver stadium with their, I, I just don't buy the trap game. I don't know what your thoughts on there. I, I don't see that scenario playing out, but I suppose if we see Penn state come out and look a little sleepy and don't see that aggressiveness that stood out from the defense uh, uh, last week on Saturday, I'll be proven wrong. I just do not see that in the forecast at all. Yeah, and I think that that Penn State, if if they're held up, it's going to be on their own doing. It's going to be inaccurate passes, not hitting the deep ball. Um, you know, like I said, thirty of forty three last week for three hundred and sixty seven yards for Connor Sampson of Western Illinois. Penn State should take advantage of that secondary. I'm, I haven't scouted the Ball State secondary extensively or anything like that, but those are pretty big numbers for Western Illinois to be putting up uh, through the passing game. Dennis Houston, 12 catches, 237 yards, and two touchdowns. So the potential for a wide receiver to go off, certainly there for Penn State. Yeah, I'll, I'll simplify that. It's a mismatch between between these Penn State pass targets and, and what Ball State is going to do with their secondary. Now, the other note here with, 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 uh, with what Penn State may be able to accomplish – moving the ball downfield and we're kind of looking at Penn state's offense here for a moment, but linebacker Brandon Martin, who was the co-defensive player of the year in the Mac last year, inside linebacker for ball state, uh, a little over 11 tackles per game during that 2020 season. Sure. Sounds like he is in doubt of being available for this game due to a medical issue. There's been uh, some reports coming out of ball state uh, from that beat, nothing definitive at this point, but doesn't seem to be training in the right direction. And if we're taking the best ball state defensive player off the field against this Penn state team, 
that could be a major problem for the Would Cardinals. You consider that an advantage for Penn State. I mean, a bit of one, yeah, a bit of one. It certainly helped Penn State last week. I mean, Penn State, uh, that that Wisconsin's uh, starting inside linebacker could not play. Um, so you know, they'll they'll take all of those they can get. You hate to sound unfair or anything like that, but if you can take the best defensive player off of the other roster, no matter what helmet they're wearing, what jersey they're wearing, you'll be pretty happy with that development. No, no offense to anybody that's injured, but they'll be pretty happy with the development of not having them on the field. Right. And and if Martin is indeed unavailable for this game for Ball State, uh, you're probably circling Bryce Cosby, who's a, a, a safety for the Cardinals as their most effective playmaker on defense. He's got more than 40 career starts, eight career interceptions. But I just don't see all three levels of this Ball State having the volume of playmakers to really keep up with Penn State. Although we are talking about an offense that had one first down in the first 30 minutes of football last Saturday. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, um, on that offensive, uh, on the offensive conversation. One other note here on defense. I'm with you, Brand Smith, and, and to an extent, Curtis Jacobs, although he's less experienced. You want to see some legitimate separation between them and their opponents in this scenario, playing a group of five opponent, highly touted prospects, tremendous athletes, guys you are counting on to be foundational pieces and uh, to lift your defense to a next level. Um, there was a lot of flashes going on on defense last week. Didn't necessarily get it from those two. I'm not saying they played poorly. You addressed this in your second look. You addressed this on the last episode. But in this circumstance, with the 22 guys you're going to be on the field in Beaver Stadium on Saturday, feels like you need to see Brandon Smith certainly look like a, a guy who is at a different tier when he's playing football. Yeah, I mean, he looks like it just on the field in, in terms yeah. of stature. So you'd like to see him take that next step. I and mean, there's a bunch of guys that you could say on both sides of the ball. I mean, you want to see uh, on offense, Penn State execute more in the running game, get Noah Kane going, get Kevon Lee going, uh, do some things in the inside zone that where you can get uh, move some guys out of the way. Uh, we expect to see Eric Wilson starting at guard uh, just based on what we've seen. Well, I mean, that's not a secret based on what we <laughs> heard coming out of the game last week. Based on what we Wiggins, saw at the yeah, last Anthony, week. Yeah, Anthony Wigan played three series and that was it. That's the last we've seen of him. So would not be uh, surprised to see Eric Wilson take on a more prominent role. But those guys up front, you know, they there's certainly room for improvement there. And and Cliff, there's room for improvement for Clifford. I mean, this is you, you don't want to say this is one where you got to come out and, and get your stuff in and get your execution down and not really go through the mo or not so much go through the motions, but um, do what you have to do. I mean, you still want to see big plays. You still want to, uh, you know, chunk it up and, and see how many of those 70 yard touchdown runs you can get. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is an execution game. If you put the, or if you put yourself in the right spot to get there, and then you follow through with it, the, the scoreboard should take care of itself. Noah Kane found something there in the fourth quarter in Madison, um, and I know he was excited to find it again. And I really would love to see that momentum continue for him early in this game. Get that ground game going early, not have to wait for the mid-game adjustments to get this offense taking off. And uh, and of course, beyond Noah Kane, who's ready to step up? Everybody's got something to prove in that room coming off of, of, of a game one. I know. Kevon Lee certainly did not imagine going up to Madison and losing three total yards in, in his debut as a second-year player for Penn State. Devin Ford working in as the third running back. You mentioned John Lovett. We're not really expecting to see him out there. So can Keziah Holmes get on the field? A lot to look at there. Tight ends, that's another spot that, that you're saying, hey, Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange working against this Ball State defense, even Tyler Warren involved. What can you do out there? There should be mismatches galore. If, 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 can Sean Clifford take advantage of that? Can these guys assert themselves? Because we spent so much of this offseason saying, watch out for the tight ends. Wasn't the opener they were looking for either. 
I mean, you, you look at that offense and you say that the receivers are probably the only one that can kind of rest on their laurels from week one. And, um, you know, they still have things to take care of and things to get better at. So um, the tight ends need to step it up. Receivers, offensive line, quarterback, you know, the, you've got uh, when you put up zero points and a half, you're going to be right for criticism. And that's uh, certainly fair. And that point, by the way, uh, to credit Kevon Lee, he did pick up about 25 yards in losing those three <laughs> yards. So um, maybe he'll get going forward this time and be the type of back that we all we all know him to be. It took me back a little bit to early in the 2018 season. We heard Franklin. I don't. He never had a th- four carry, negative three yard game. But Miles Sanders early in the season, Franklin told us a few times. You know, he's got to stop trying to bounce it. Got to stop racking up all these yards behind the line of scrimmage. Make the cut, go upfield, and get it. And if you get three or four yards, that's great. It keeps us on schedule. That's what you want from Kevon Lee when he's out there. That's what you did not get against uh, against Wisconsin. But again, one of the best defensive fronts this Penn State defense will see. And now you got Ball State coming into Beaver Stadium. I guess the last thing here on offense to address is don't let turnovers open the door for the Cardinals. If you want to find out how trap games happen or big upsets happen, uh, turnovers are often part of that unraveling. Some are going to say this is the kiss of death, but I'm going to say the stat anyways. Sean Clifford during the 0-5 start last year, 10 total turnovers. Sean Clifford during the current five-game win streak for Penn State, two total turnovers, zero turnovers in Madison. Um, If he can keep that going, keep that momentum going, I have a hard time seeing Ball State threatening Penn State. If he lets loose with a couple interceptions, doesn't secure the ball when he faces pressure in the pocket like we saw last year, then he's going to contribute to to the Cardinals having a chance to make things interesting late in the game. I I really don't have a complimentary point to line up with yours because it, you know, that's pretty, no, I don't want to say it's obvious, but like you protect the football, you're going to be okay. And that's how that happens. And also uh, you can make that argument for special teams. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a group that, that that had a very good week in some aspects, this uh, against Wisconsin, you turn around, you had missed a field goal, missed an extra point. So uh, that's something that's got to be shored up. Uh, you know, you got to tackle, uh, you know, you can't let up. Uh, if you're AJ Litton, you can't let up going down the field to tackle a, a guy on a punt return. Cause all of a sudden, if you let up and you let a guy go by you, that that could result in six points the other way. So um, special teams is something that they definitely, you know, do need to clean some things up on, do need to sharpen some things up on as well. Um, Jahan Dotson as a punt returner could potentially be a guy that finds some space on Saturday. I mean, you, you're playing a team that doesn't have the athletes that you have, and, you know, you could throw some of that defense out there. <laughs> you saw, uh, if you go, if you want to laugh, go back to Joe, uh, the Joey Porter on the first punt from Wisconsin, just freaking level the guy it was uh it was beautiful he just took a guy off his feet i think you can see some of that this weekend with the, the bigger athletes and the, the better athletes on penn State's special teams so uh not turning the ball over sharpening some things up on special teams it's going to put yourself in, a, in an even better spot than you were coming into the game yeah i think Jahan dotson is one to watch on special teams this week just because of what you said that he's just going to outclass guys and if he gets some room to maneuver and start to line up his blocks look out uh yeah he had a nice return last week it wasn't a big one but it was yeah he had one that that you saw when Jahan dotson has his opportunities he's going to seize them this year there's an abundance of confidence from this guy really curious if he'll get his hands on the football i think Ball State's going to be doing quite a bit of punting. Do they look to avoid him? How does that maybe help Penn State with field position? A lot to look at there and their handling of several Penn State weapons. And not often do you see a nightmare scenario play out for the special teams. And at the same time, like an, a, an all-time program performance happen uh, from a punting game. But never do you see it res- relating to the same guy. So Jordan yeah. Stout wants to answer the bell. I'm sure he'll want to convert. I mean, of course he wants to, but nothing would would feel better for him and nothing would, would feel better for Joe Lord than to see him go out and, and look like the guy who 
won those three jobs. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, I don't know how many of, uh, of the programs that are playing in FBS are asking one guy to do all three. That's something that, that to do some research on, I guess, here as we have Jordan Stout doing it. But that's a lot to ask. And as tremendous as he was as a punter, that execution between him, the snapper, and the holder, more imp most importantly here, needs to be cleaned up against Ball State. There's no excuse if any of that resurfaces for game two. And if it does, then it warrants more of a storyline about what Penn State's kind of maybe what their uh, Achilles heel could be uh, moving forward. You don't want to have short yardage uh, field goal attempts or extra points on that list. Let's take it easy on the snappers here. Uh, clearly, it was the holders. Holders. Issue. Holders yeah. issue, kickers issue, no slap, snapper slander around snapper here. Snapper slander. As I just uh, <laughs> follow, throw up all over myself. Um, also, be aware of Ball State's uh, – potential trickeration, especially on special teams, fake field goals, fake punts, uh, different formations and in extra points or field goals or things like that. Cause this is a team trying to steal one on the road. You got to do what they got to do. Absolutely. And, and I'm curious, you know, when does ball state maybe go for a fourth down conversion that you weren't expecting a team to normally, you know, try to, to, to convert. There's, there's different scenarios that, that when you are a team like ball state entering this kind of a situation as that underdog, you're going to be more willing to try some things out that you aren't accustomed to seeing in a typical you know, Big Ten versus Big Ten matchup. So a lot to look ahead to here on Saturday. You know we'll be back afterward with the post-game uh, post podcast, and we'll break down whatever we do see between Penn State and Ball State and Beaver Stadium. But now that we've covered offense, defense, special teams, before we get to predictions, we got a couple other things to get into. If you can, and, and you know again, three-touchdown kind of spread game here, if you can – Great opportunity to get guys' feet wet. You didn't have a chance in 2020 to do much of that at all. Uh, so there's a lot of second-year players who need snaps. And then, of course, there's crew freshmen as well. And I'll also throw out a name I haven't referenced here for a while, and I, I'm sure our listeners don't mind it. Taquan Roberson. Get him some live bullets. Did not see that one coming. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that have an opportunity. And this is if it plays out the way that you think it'll play out or or we think that, that the spread would – lend itself to playing out um, then you should see some of those guys on on the field uh true freshman jalen reed uh, we saw last week Jalen king and caleb brown the only two to get on the field but jalen reed at safety uh harrison wallace and liam clifford at receiver maybe some kobe king with them being thin at linebacker landon tangwall uh on the offensive line so opportunities all over the place for guys, not only the freshmen, but also redshirt freshmen. Earlier I mentioned uh, Fisher, Mulba, Vanover, and Izzard on the defensive line, but guys like Tyler Elston at linebacker, Olu Fashanu at tackle. Um, guys will will have an opportunity to get in there, and, and you might see some of those early rotations. This is something we've seen in the past. I don't want to say that they've coached for a blowout, but we've saw, we, we, we saw – I can't remember which game it was or which games it was in the last couple of years, but we saw guys entering the game before. Yeah, maybe you should, probably shouldn't throw the redshirt freshman out there just yet. Still a little bit in doubt. So wouldn't be surprised to see that once again uh, on Saturday. Yeah, uh, it should be fun. We, we've been waiting to see some of these guys get their shot in games. It may come late. It may not come at all if Penn State doesn't handle its business, but a lot of those names uh, are looking to maybe get in on the action. A, a couple other third-year guys. I mentioned Roberson. He's a third-year guy. Uh, Smith Vilbert you know, hasn't played a ton of football. It sounded like he turned a corner this offseason. He got a bit in, uh, involved against the Badgers on Saturday. Could we see more of him with Lucetta moving back to linebacker and maybe the floodgates opening a bit on the scoreboard? Uh, and then additionally, um, you know, you have to look at, at Tyler Rudolph at safety, a guy that, that got some some preseason 
uh, praise from Anthony Poindexter and, and kind of mentioned him as competing for that job, which went to Jair Brown. This could be a great opportunity for him to get out there, maybe get some extensive run, which hasn't really happened for him throughout much of his career. Um, you know, speaking so of that's things, a, that's a good call. I like that. I like that one. I didn't think about Rudolph, but yeah, that's a good call. We want, you want to see more of him to see what's, you know, what you're going to have after, after Brisker moves on next year. The old third-year freshman here in 2020 NCAA football. Um, recruiting. It, it, we buried the lead a little bit because so much of our podcast conversation also often leads with recruiting. Once we hit the season, it gets on the back burner. But back in Beaver Stadium, it's not just the fans. It's not just the media and the coaches and the players. You're getting prospects back in the building. Getting prospects, getting commits back uh, to campus. Uh, you know, the, the when that opened up on June first, a lot of those guys visited in the first week or two, um, and then kept coming back for camps for Lash Bash at the end of July, um, and to get them back on campus to see really not not necessarily their first game as a as a recruit, but you think about that, that's almost two years. Uh, that's a long time in a, in a kid's de- in a seventeen year old's development. This this game that Caden Saunders is seeing is going to be a whole different angle than what he saw when he was just a, a sophomore checking, checking things out. So Saunders coming back, Nick Singleton coming back, Drew Shelton, uh, the Lackawanna kids and Ken Talley coming up. So getting those guys on campus, it's boring. You know, nobody likes to talk about the committed guys coming back, but if you can keep those guys back or coming back and back and back, that, that makes a big difference in building this class. And we saw that this summer and it, and it certainly, um, you know, manifested itself in July. Uh, some other guys come in, there's, but it's a bunch of 23 guys for the most part. British Mitchell, a wide receiver from Miami's coming up. Ronald Nuka uh, from Philly Northeast, of course, Ken Talley's school. Um, an interesting guy here from in-state, Joey Sch- uh, Schlaffer. Um, and I knew I would butcher that name. What's actually, that? Uh, <laughs> well, can you give, I, that, give me that again? Michael Mennett's brother, uh, tight end from Exeter, um, six, six or listed six, six, two Oh five, really good athletes. Got a bunch of power five offers. Uh, this is a kid that Penn state's really looking at closely. You're going to really going to see, um, where he stands on the board, probably coming out of this week. I wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked if he was offered. I know they really like him, but with, with some of those in-state offers, especially for a guy that has the connections to the program, uh, that Joey has, uh, if you offer him, you better be darn sure you want to take him. So, um, he's an interesting one there. A um, couple other guys, Cooper Young uh, is from Downingtown West. He's an offensive lineman. He's got some uh, some D1 offers as well. And then Quentin Martin, um, the highest rated guy visiting this weekend. He's number 40 overall in the 24-7 sports rankings for the 2024 uh, recruiting cycle. Uh, this kid's good. He's really good. Uh, Bell Vernon plays running back, plays linebacker, plays safety, plays all over the place. Probably a linebacker at the next level. Might grow out of that safety, 6'2", 180 as a sophomore. So, Probably going to grow out of that safety, probably grow out of that that running back spot, but he's also a pretty darn good running back. So not sure where he ends up, but uh, he's a he's a good one and, and one to, to get on campus as much as you can in the early stage of his recruitment because this will be his first time on campus. Yeah, just a sophomore, Quinton Martin has offers from Penn State, Pittsburgh, Rutgers, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, um, and he's just getting going with his sophomore year here. Um, Sean, we will certainly give everybody the feedback from the recruiting. Uh, four consecutive home games in Beaver Stadium. It's going to be a great opportunity. I also have a feeling that that conversation that we just had is going to be a little bit longer at this time next week. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, you're going to have to roll out the scroll that reaches the floor with the list of names. And and by the way, we do have a complete list and a little more context on what Penn state's preparing for this Saturday from a guest list perspective. Uh, Sean Fitz put that up online, 247.com where you can of course catch up on all of our coverage from this game week before Penn state ball state. I think it's about time, Sean. Prediction time. Penn State 
Ball State, 330 kick. One of these teams will be 2-0. Who's it going to be? I think Penn State will be 2-0. Uh, I, I didn't write down a score yet. Oh. I you, yeah, yeah, I, I know on that one. I think Penn State, 22 or 23-point favorite right now. Um, and, and that sounds about right. Um, I'm going to go with 41-10. Um, that's a little bit bigger than I would usually put, especially after Penn State went scoreless in the first half last week. You know, you got to see it from the offense, but they have the opportunity. And, and like I said last week, they hit a couple of those deep balls. It's really going to open some things up all over the place. I think Penn State will be able to run the ball a little bit more. Noah Kane will be much happier to see the Ball State front than he was to see the Wisconsin front. And, you know, maybe that offensive line gets going in the right direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Penn State 38, Ball State 17. I, I, li- I like the, the 10. I just had this score written down this morning, so I'm going to stick with it. 38 uh, 17. I could certainly see Penn State holding Ball State to fewer points, but maybe Ball State can, can generate a play late when they're just trying to put up passes and, and, and trying to uh, you know, make the score look more respectable. But I do see this being a comfortable margin for Penn State. You know, By the time we get into the early stages, mid stages of the third quarter, where they will have opportunities to, to, to get some deeper rotations in there to get some guys some extra rest ahead of that Auburn game uh, because you you did just come off a game where your defense in particular just played so many snaps so that could be a really good opportunity I think this is a bounce back game for the ground game that's kind of where I focus here I just feel like Penn State should be able to impose itself you'd like to think that with Eric Wilson being the guy from snap one he'll be able to hold on to that job I don't know if we'll see Anthony Wigan check in at some point you'd like to think that until they no longer need Eric Wilson and they no longer need their starters at some point in this game that Wilson can be the guy he can hold it down he can look like your starter moving forward uh, nothing guaranteed there though of course as he makes the leap fr- from uh, ivy league football so uh 38 17 is a pick for me i i think that they will be able to uh just out af- you know just completely out athleticism the, the 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 ball state offense i think this defense is going to flash in a big way i think they'll create a couple turnovers um and at the end of the day uh, i believe the ground game is going to go 200 plus rushing yards which when we talked about last week and their leading rusher at three yards going into the third quarter, th- that would be a major pendulum swing for that group. You're, you're going to make a stretch and say 200 yards on the ground. I'm going to make an even bigger stretch and say Jahan Dotson's going to have a really good game. A really good game? A really good game, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm with you there. Uh, I'm with you there. <laughs> we won't go into further detail. Uh, we can pretty much just – should we just add that tagline to the end of every prediction episode? We'll just say, by the way, Jahan Dotson's going to have a really good game. I, I really don't know who's going to, to, to have success stopping this guy consistently. It's really exciting to watch how far he has come. That's our conversation here for the pregame show. Paul State and Penn State will be back in Beaver Stadium uh, for the matchup uh, a couple hours beforehand. Hope to see you all out there at the stadium. We'll talk afterwards. Postgame podcast will be coming probably later into the evening with that 3.30 kickoff, but we're with you after every game to break it down. And once again, four episodes coming your way next week as we get ready for the whiteout and game three. On behalf of Sean, thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn, we'll catch up with you soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast where you can find us on YouTube at Lions 24-7.